Hello, friends, and welcome to Beauty the Interviews, a podcast production of The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that invites women back to their bodies and into a world where we belong with substance and with strength. I'm Sarah Stevens, your host for this podcast and the founder of The Beautiful Project. Welcome to the final episode of the Survivor season. It has been an extraordinary privilege and pleasure for me to hold space for the stories for survivors in this second season of the podcast. And for this last episode, surprise, uh, I'm welcoming my wife back to the microphone. So, hey, Becky. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Um, I invited Becky back today so that I could be interviewed and share my own story of survival. And I tried to do that by myself over a microphone, but... um, (laughs) It just is terrible. So uh, we went with the option of inviting her back. I heard from a lot of you in the first season when Becky interviewed me uh, how much you appreciated the connection that we shared over that interview. And so I thought, particularly today, as I share my own story of survival, I'm actually going to share with you something that I have not made public before. And so I felt like it would be a really important piece of my story to invite my wife to hold space for that with me. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, absolutely. So uh, So. I'm going to try to not interview you. (laughs) And this is the part where I will be quiet. This this may be very interesting for the listeners to see how well that part goes, but we're going to try it. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So you're up. I'm up. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, first I just want to say that uh, it always is an honor to hear your story again. And again, and I'm, I love to hear a good story, and this is definitely an important one. Mm-hmm. So on behalf of your listeners, thanks for um, walking the walk on this one. Yeah. So as we get started, we'll start as you normally do. And tell me what it means to you. Tell your listeners what it means to you to be a survivor. So I think this definition has shifted over the course of the past uh, year as I held space for these 13 or 14 stories of survival. I think in the beginning, I had more of that cultural idea that surviving was about this super strong, you know, I'm a survivor. It's like, <laughs> is it Rosie the Riveter, you know, yeah. like uh, posed. And, yeah. You know. And that is true of survivors, but not in the flexing, posing way. Um, So what do I think it means to survive? I think that we want to tell that story that looks really strong because it makes us comfortable. It's a little harder to lean into the depth of a survivor Mm -hmm. and understand that what you see on the surface is actually the result of enormous work of uh, processing pain. Right. So and in those places, when you're processing pain, you don't feel like flexing. (laughs) What do you feel like? Um, You feel like quitting. Mm. And so I think that that's my. So for me, the definition of a survivor today is somebody who decided to just keep going. Mm. It didn't even mean that they thought there might be a day where I'm healed or often that was the case. They they would get up day after day and not feel any shift and then one day they would get up and realize that they were put back together again. And so, um, to me, the survivors are the people who just keep going. 
All right, friends, it's time for a quick break to let the cat out of the bag and explain why today's episode isn't constantly being interrupted with the sound of a train in the background. The amazing improvement in audio quality today is entirely the work of my new best friend, Archie. You see, today's episode is being brought to you from the sound studios at Silver Oaks Communications, and Archie is their sound guy working a little magic in the background. Silver Oaks is a creative media company based in Moline, Illinois, and they have offered the use of their sound studio and their stellar sound guy, Archie, all throughout season three. So unless you were super attached to crappy audio quality or the sound of the trains in the background, then I suggest that you stay with us for season three. At the very least, it's going to sound really good. All right, friends, back to my interview. Well, I know you, and I know your story well enough to know that there are a number of I'm going to just keep going stories that you could tell. Sure. So what is the survival story you want to share with your listeners today? You're right. There are a number of parts of my life that actually would be much more comfortable mm. for me to to talk about because there are parts of my life that that happened in public in some ways. So the end of my marriage was felt very public to me. And the way that that happened and the result of that. Um, so what I was able to do with those stories, those ones that really kind of played on a, on a public stage, I was able to use all of the skill that I have to sort of craft them into something that really did tell more of that posed, flexing strength, which was all true. Mm -hmm. I definitely found strength in those places of suffering. But the story I want to share today, I want to share because I think it's very important. Um, it's important for my own healing first. I think that's important mm -hmm. to say for me to put the story outside of me. And then I also think the context of the story is important to share with our listeners, um, particularly because of the way that women understand their own experiences of sexual assault. Mm. We, uh, I've heard this over and over and over, uh, that women would retell the story and say, but I'm not sure I can trust what I remember, or I right. don't know if it right. happened this way, or I feel really funny calling it rape, or I feel really funny calling it assault because of all of these eventualities that fed this moment. And on the interviewer side of the, of the interviews, mm -hmm. it was so easy for me to see that they were talking about sexual assault. I was aware also the entire time that when it came time to tell my story, that I felt the exact that's same it. way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the story that I want to tell that I've never okay. told publicly. So um, when I was 20 ish. I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but like somewhere in your 40s, you forget like when things happened in your 20s. So um, I was 20 and I was with a man who was 21 years my senior. And at the time, my um, my parents actually did react to that. They were like, my dad in particular, who at the time did not have a whole lot um, of interaction with me, he he came at that relationship. He was like, what does this guy want from you? Which, of course, just sort of steeled my resolve mm -hmm. because I was furious that uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, that my dad all of a sudden wanted to pay attention, which there's been a lot of healing in my relationship with my dad today. Right. But at 20, I did definitely feel neglected. So the more... Um, the more that people challenged me on the outside, the mm -hmm. more that I 
just uh, dug in. Right. And I was like, I don't care what people think. This is good for me. And this is good for me because this man um, wants to care for me and take care of me. So at the time, I actually was super religious. Um, this is part of my story a lot of people don't know. And when they do it's know It's another it, survival story, yeah. actually. <laughs> That's the damn truth. <laughs> How I survived religion. Yes. It's Good another, another season. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was super religious. And as a result of that, um, I had a lot of boundaries about what our physical relationship would look like. And I made those clear to him in the beginning. And he was very... Um, he was, it, it was a very countercultural way to be at the time. I mean, we, we, we met in a, I was a waitress and he was a cook. He was actually the chef at this restaurant. And so we hung out in bars and everybody drank and partied. And so to, to be in that setting and say, but I also don't have sex because this is like a boundary for me. It's a religious boundary. Um, and I, I mean, my time in high school was not particularly religious in this way. So this was like a, this was a, this was a commitment I made um, as a result of where I was in my life at the time. So he was very respectful of that in the beginning and even expressed interest in converting to, I I was Catholic, um, converting to Catholicism and like moving toward my world that way, which of course I took as an additional sign that um, he does love me. He does want this relationship to be everything I want it to be. Um, so, and I, I have to tell you, I sincerely cannot remember how long we were together or how long phases took. I have mm-hmm. zero clue. My best guess is that we were together for two years, but I don't yeah. know that. Um, so first part of the relationship was sort of honeymoonish and because we did drink together there was a lot of uh there was a lot of like stopping and starting mm-hmm. with sexual sure. stuff yeah. you know because mm-hmm. I would draw a boundary and say but this isn't going to happen and he always respected the boundary um and then well gosh if I if I tell it this way then I can probably trace the timeline so then I went away to college we were together for a part of a year and then I went away to college and Everything shifted when I went away to school. I went 10 hours away. Um, the, the first year I was there, I lost a ton of weight, and I came back at fall break, and there was that power dynamic had shifted. Like, he felt threatened. You could tell he felt threatened. by Because? Um, I think because I was far away and I was thinner, so I was more attractive. So he had more competition. Right. That Got was it. how he interpreted that. Mm-hmm. Um. And so uh, I remember being back on that break, the first fall break, and knowing that we felt weird or different. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I went back to school and came back for Christmas break. And this is the part, gosh, I've talked to survivors that have said, I don't remember anything that happened. Right. So this is the part of the story that is, um, like, as I start to tell it, I can actually feel this constriction in my chest and in my throat, which is a strange bodily reaction to me. Uh, but part of it, I feel like when it rises up in me like that, when I feel that sensation, what my head does with it is it says, are you sure that's really See? what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, what I remember about this particular night is that we had gone out and we'd had a terrible night. We had fought. We had our friends around who were all my friends. He hung out with all my friends. 
Uh, and I remember being angry enough that like I left the bar where we were and I remember walking a long time. But then I came back um, and we had it would have been a very ugly fight, like public ugly. Uh, so my friends had kind of talked me off the ledge. We went back to the bar and we kept drinking together and talking it out. And he lived above the bar where we were. And uh, and I, you know, I have a another survival story is my sordid relationship with alcohol. But <laughs> season five, I don't know. Yeah, probably yeah, there will okay. be addiction in there somewhere. I'm sure, but it wasn't necessarily uncommon for me to drink to a place that I didn't. I certainly wasn't able of consenting to anything mm-hmm. that was not unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so. All that I really recall is being at that bar and trying to talk it out and drinking White Russians. And then I vaguely recall crawling up the steps to his apartment, like literally crawling. Mm -hmm. And I remember him behind me. And then I remember um, being in his apartment and telling him no. I remember telling him no. And then I just have flashes of waking up. And this is the part where I can't even say rape. I can't even say it. Like, I can't say it in a sentence. Go ahead. So let's, can we play with that for a second? Yeah. Can you get underneath that? What makes that four-letter word so fundamentally difficult? Um... I, I think part of it is we... I don't know about we. Most people I know, myself. How about me? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So I have a very particular way that I have pictured, and maybe it's from movies or what I'm told or Mm. what it looks like, what rape looks like, right? And and so what's missing in your story that makes makes it not qualify? Mm, More resistance. Like on your part, yeah, like violent yeah. resistance, you know. So, it's like a scene in a movie right. is how I think it should look, right? Like the woman's fighting him off, and mm-hmm. right. And so I remember saying no, and I remember, I mean, I remember multiple times saying no. I remember one time trying to crawl away. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, flashes of memory, right. and then I remember just submitting because I knew there was no way out. Right there, I didn't couldn't figure out a way out. Mm-hmm. So what is um, – I rem- the next – do you have more you want to ask? I'm sorry. You look no, like you do. Well, you go ahead. Okay. Let's go a little farther and then I'm, so, I'll pull you back. Uh, the next day he went to work and I called the friend that I had been with the night before and I told him what had happened. And he was basically like – at the time I was actually staying with – well, I was, he was my partner, right? Mm-hmm. So I was staying with him because my parents, I, I grew up in, in this town and my parents um, were divorced and my dad really wasn't a place I could live and my mom didn't live here. So I stayed with him. And so my friend was like, so you're going to figure out where else you can stay, right? And I remember thinking, why would I do that? Mm. Which How say, does that strike you now? Uh, absurd. Like... <laughs> What yeah. the hell is that? Right. Like that's Which absurd, is the question, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we had a priest friend who was really engaged with us, was doing – oh, we were – speaking of engaged, gosh, this just came back to me. We were engaged at this mm-hmm. point. 
Um, and so he had been doing work with us. And so I sought his counsel. And um, he counseled the two of us. And in hindsight, I'm like, what the fuck was that? Mm-hmm. You know? And and what was that like? The counseling of the two of you? Yeah, I remember it being... Um, If I really think about the core, so there are these places in my life where things are happening on the surface, but there is this small, still voice in me that I hear something else, like another truth Mm -hmm. under it. And I remember sitting through those sessions knowing with that small, still voice that this was the end of our, that I was presiding over the end of our relationship. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was over and that I was just going through motions at this point Mm -hmm. because I wasn't sure how to undo my life and my mm-hmm. life was so wound up with him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was very apologetic, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was. You know, the funny thing about podcasts is people can't see your face. So, oh, yeah, right. So, just, I was thinking how chivalrous of him. That's just swell. Yeah, dripping with sarcasm. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, I went back to school and uh, I don't know how long it was, but I met the person I later married. And as soon as I met the person I later married, uh, my ex-husband, I, it was very easy for me to let, to just go peace out. Close the chapter on that. Peace out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, now what is the part of the story to me that is also very important and telling is the very real truth that I completely forgot this happened to me mm-hmm. for 20 years. Um, how This is how I rem- remembered. Uh, and you were there for this, right? You were, mm-hmm. you were there for this. So it was a few years ago when I was working, um, and I got a call from a federal, po- a federal, federal prosecutor at work, and she asked if I ever knew this person. I'm not going to say his name, but, uh, and I was like, well, yes, I was engaged <laughs> to the, to him. So she proceeds to tell me that he had been arrested on a sting of some sort where he, federal, this is true, I can't even, I'm laughing because, again, it feels, well, first of all, it's probably a defense mechanism, and it feels so absurd to mm-hmm. say this, but he had met a woman at work. And she had, um, like, rebuffed his his interest. And he solicited somebody to kill her. Wow. Yeah. And he was caught in this federal sting. Whew. Yeah. So, so can we just breathe for a second there? Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, there's so many things there. There's the fact that you're able to keep it out of your conscious awareness yeah. for a long time, yep. right? And all the ways that that served you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then it comes crashing back with a vengeance. I mean, not only the memory of what he did to you, but also this recognition of who he really obviously is right. and was, right. which is not who you knew him to be or thought he was. Right. So there's so many pieces here. Um, which piece is the is the one most helpful? 
to kind of get at. Helpful for what purpose? For your listeners. Oh. Mm. <laughs> it's, I know what I want to say. So I want to say it, and then I want to say what's underneath it. Okay. So the, I think the thing that's most helpful is um, to trust yourself. I don't know how mm-hmm. to say this. Mm-hmm. Like, trust yourself, even though you think it might be wrong. I, I, I really, as that, as the days and weeks unfolded after, mm-hmm. with enough distance and enough, like, altering of the memory, it was very easy for me to go, that was just drunk sex that went wrong, but I know that's not true. Right. And I know it for a million reasons. I know how committed I was to, I know how committed I was. Like, I know a million things about myself leading up to that point. Um, so this thing that kicks up in me that goes, but that's not really what happened. Or you were with him. I mean, you were partnered with him. I think that's the other thing I really want to point out because mm-hmm. I've, I've heard this from other women, but I, I've always appreciated when women, partic- like there's a maybe the last interview, the second to last interview, it's a woman who t- she says very clearly, I was raped by my husband. You and bet. yes, that's possible. Mm-hmm. I did not consent. Right. And so I think two things, trust yourself. And the only um, the only consent is yes. It's not no or the absence of a yes it's mm-hmm. yes yes right. is the only real consent and a violation of that is a violation of that every time regardless of who it is doesn't matter who it is right 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 you know there was a i just read a stat this week that um, one out of 6 women their first sexual encounter is forced mm, you know that doesn't surprise me even yeah. a little bit no i'm actually surprised it's not higher yeah honestly yeah me too you know i'm sort of relieved also. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, it's not. Yeah. Right? But that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people, which makes, I think, especially this piece about who can be a quote-unquote rapist and who can't, or mm-hmm. who can be an assaulter mm-hmm. and who can't is a really, really important conversation, mm-hmm. important part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it been like since you've discovered and remembered? Well... Um, the day that I – so what happened is this federal prosecutor tells me this, and she starts to ask me questions about him, about our relationship. I promise you when I tell you, I didn't – my first instinct when she called me was to go, there's no way he did that. How can I be helpful? That is my first instinct. And as she started to ask me questions about our relationship, my my memory went, hey – over here, there's mm-hmm. something to unpack. And she asked a particular question. I don't remember exactly what it was other than it was something like, was there ever a time of um, where he demonstrated any behavior that would lead you to believe he could do something like this? And the qu- and then it was like this flood of memory. Mm-hmm. And I, I recounted the story to her. And I, and I said to this federal prosecutor, I said, but I, I have a hard time calling it rape. And she goes, if it happened to your daughter, what would you call it? Bingo. Right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's just no moving away from it at that point. So I came home, and I don't know if you remember. I Do you remember this day? Oh, I do. I do. And I was super weird with you all night. Mm-hmm. Like, I, um, I, I couldn't even really bring myself to talk. And then finally that night I told you what had happened and then the, the uh, tapping into the memory. And then I spent some time in therapy. Um, unpacking it. Mm-hmm. And to be completely honest with you, like telling it today, I have more work to do. 
I can feel it in my body. Yeah, the constriction so in my chest in your throat. and yep. in my throat. Absolutely. Uh, those are two ways that I know that the profound wisdom of my body tells me it's not, we haven't moved all the way through it yet. So something else that intrigues me. Yeah. As we started the podcast, you talked about um, the definition of survivor and this idea of how we put out this, I'm strong because I mm-hmm. moved through this thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a connection, I think, or I'm wondering, let me just say it that way, if there's a connection between that sense of strength in surviving that comes from uh, repeatedly owning the story by sharing it, which is a different kind of mm. how it feels at the beginning. Yeah, um, that's a good question, or curiosity, I suppose. It does shift when you put, I I wrote a blog a little while ago, I said the truth takes up space wherever it lands. Mm -hmm. Um, And that line sticks with me, you know. I mean, I get that I wrote it, but it just (laughs) kind of came from, (laughs) I obviously think I'm phenomenal. I don't generally, but that line stuck with me. The truth takes up space wherever Mm -hmm. it lands. And so the visual I had as I was writing that is that um, when truth gets stuck in us, it takes up space it's not meant to, right? So like it crowds out the space that could be used for love and connection or even anger or sadness. There's this truth in me that needs to come out and live Mm -hmm. somewhere outside of me. And so in part, the process of telling the story and and sharing it that way is actually to get it out from inside of me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel stronger having told it. That isn't how it feels. Uh, I feel hopeful that there's somebody in the audience who knows their own truth and and then as a result says, I'm not going to let it take up space in me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know too from experience that particularly with trauma of, of an intense nature, that there is hope and healing in in the process of telling and retelling because it helps your brain know that it's not happening anymore. Right. Right. When it gets mm-hmm. stuck in us, it's easy to get caught in that emotional dysregulation that goes, oh, God, there's still a threat. There's still a threat. There's still a threat. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, I, that day on that phone with that prosecutor, I was terrified driving home. I had no reason to be. Mm -hmm. This didn't happen here. Brain didn't know that. No. I mean, this guy lived in Florida for the last 15 years. That's where, that's where the whole sting (laughs) murder for hire. I mean, what? Mm-hmm. That is that real? The other part that was unbelievable to me is that his defense attorney, he was in, he was indicted and charged and convicted. His defense attorney asked me to come to the sentencing to put together the parts of our relationship that were um, that could help the jury understand who he was. And I, ca- I actually called the defense attorney back and I was like, "Are you any good at your job? Like, <laughs> you do not want me. You do not want me there." Yeah. And he's like, I want you to tell the beginning part of your story. And I was like, that's not going to happen. So even just having that boundary of like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go help him at sentencing. That's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. So those are moments of just keep going, you know, and some strength in that. Right. Right. um, Of then drawing the boundary about how I won't. Actually, that's really it. What is, what is, uh, I don't like the word empowering doesn't really fit here. Where I find some strength is um, 
in saying, yes, it's over, and here are the ways that I won't let it keep happening to me. And I don't mean I don't mean putting myself in a position to be assaulted. I mean, I'm not going to keep going back to that place where there's power there. And and part of it is when the story stays inside of you, it just keep, there's a lot of power to it still. Right. Right. It draws energy to itself and it can just take up more space than it needs to. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. That's a I was going to say it's a beautiful story, but that's not really what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story of how beautiful you are, actually, um, and how really beautiful I think all survivors are in the way that they can begin to own the trauma and use that for good. Mm-hmm. You know, the community that gets built up around that because there are so many. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. Is there anything about the story that you left out you think is important? No. Do you think there's something? That was not a lead. I was just curious. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the The, marriage interview. Right. That might say more about (laughs) me or us than the question, I'm afraid. I'm just, you know, honestly, that is sort of one of those moments where I go, oh, does she remember something I don't? Because it is so... Right. It's so fuzzy. Right. It's so fuzzy. You know, the other thing I wanted to just comment on, which I has been commented on before, but the, the mind, um, your story is another example of how the mind can forget and the mind can block things out and make things fuzzy, but your body knows. Oh, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. And um, I look forward to the day when we trust that. Mm. Uh, as much as our, at least as much as we trust our fading memories, you know. Me too. Yeah. So what advice do you have for the folks who are listening? Mm. It's funny. I wrote these questions, and now that I'm on the side of the microphone, I realize how much you weave the answer to this question into the story, right? Because yep. I feel like I'm going to repeat it. But um, trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that's so much easier said than done because we are trained from, like, our earliest memory to seek external validation for our truth. But that's bullshit. And um, I knew that night. I knew the next morning. I knew. I just let myself be convinced of something else because it was, well, first of all, it was easier. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to believe this man I'd been with for a year, at least at that point, could rape me. Like, I, that I just, that my brain was just so resistant to that. So that's the other piece. So trust yourself, but also extend some grace and gentleness Mm -hmm. for yourself. Because if I look back at that now, my 20-year-old self, I didn't have a place to live in my home. Mm -hmm. That's a major uh, motivator. Safety and security, that's a big deal. So I didn't know how to how to necessarily support myself. I was a college student. Um, so I can look back at that version of me and have a lot of empathy and a lot of grace for how and why she chose to forget. And and how forgetting is survival too. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's such a good point, Beck. Uh is completely survival too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to trust yourself and treat yourself gently. 
um, and just keep going. I, if I think about this story in isolation, uh, which is a little tough because it's part of an entire contextualized narrative that at times felt like it was full of, I've talked to other survivors who are survivors of serial traumas, mm -hmm. and in some ways uh, I am as well. Not in some ways, I'm not going to be dismissive. I have survived serial traumas. And other people who've survived serial traumas will say, at some point, I don't even like to tell my whole story in its entirety because it sounds so absurd. Like, can that many things happen to one person? Which is almost, as the survivor, I almost feel shaming. Mm -hmm. Like, there's this subtext to that. Like, what did you do to What's invite that much chaos it, into your life? Right. And trust me, when I tell you, I spent my 20s asking that question. Like, wh why do I invite so much chaos? And if I look back at that 20-year-old girl, I wasn't inviting chaos. I, I was desperately seeking a sense of belonging and safety. It's hard to be mad at that, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so through those things, just keep going because the things that look a certain way when you're 30 look different when, the 40, when you're 40. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't know it till you get there. You know, mm -hmm. so those are the things I would say. Those are beautiful things. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, friends, that's it for your interview with me. Uh, this season, I know I've said it a hundred million times, this season has been such an extraordinary gift to me. Honestly, if I look back at it, I had no intention of telling this story at the end of the season. I was good with the public stories that people know about me being what they know. And then time and time again, these guests sat across from me and showed me that courage is contagious. And um, it changed me in ways that I'm probably never going to be able to really put words to, which is incredible because I am a wordy human. There's so many words. <laughs> Um, so if you loved today's episode, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review and a rating so that other people can find us. This marks the end of season two, the season of Survivors. We have a season three plan in the works, so look for a little sneak peek um, that we'll put out sometime uh, late fall, probably early winter, um, to let you know what season three of Beauty the Interviews is going to be about. It was an absolute privilege to share this space with you for the last year. Thank you so much for lending your voice to our chorus of courage as we continue to create a world where women belong with substance and with strength. I'll see you all soon.